welcome uh, to episode uh, four of the Private Capital Talent Series from PFA Solutions. And today uh, we have uh, Melanie Cohen, as well as uh, Ryan Berger. And as always, uh, we welcome questions. There's a Q&A um, section where you can ask questions and then I'll look out for those and, and share those. Also stay tuned for announcements on episode five, which looks like it might come up in about two weeks. Uh, feel free to uh, spread the word. And today, Melanie, let's get started. And can I hand over to you and, and tell us about uh, your career and, and, and um, how it's brought it to, to where you are today? So hi, everyone. I'm Melanie Cohen. Um, I started my career trade-wise. I'm an accountant by trade, so CPA. Um, worked in public accounting at Deloitte for three plus years, then went into private, really acquisition work, um, and got my MBA at NYU at night. And then I went into the alternative sector. So I started my career in the alternative sector at JP Morgan Partners, um, which was the private equity arm of Chase at the time. <clears throat> when they merged with Bank One, Bank One had its private equity arm. So um, at that time, myself and some others from the management team um, proposed to launch what's now PEPS, which is private equity fund administration business within JP Morgan. Um, I was at JP Morgan for 14 and a half years running everything from client onboarding to larger client relationships on the close end fund administration side of the business. Um, then I went to Deutsche Bank and headed up there, first the Americas close end fund administration business and then their global fund administration practice. Um, was there for about three years, um, at which time they decided to sell the business. Ultimately it was sold to Apex. So went over to Apex where there, I also ran their global close-end fund administration business for about two and a half, three years. Again, building up, you know, SOC 1 coverage to global product teams to services that they were doing in integration work. Um, and then about two years ago, I left Apex and started doing advisory and consulting work on my own in the alternative sector, ranging from outsourced CFO to target operating model um, to a myriad of things. That's fantastic. And so with that wealth of experience, there's so much um, we wanted to ask you that it was kind of hard to sort of uh, focus on, on, on just a few things. Um, and and as the headline that we um, put out ahead of the webcast shows, we, we wanted to ask you about second or raising second or third funds, maybe even fourth funds um, from PFA's perspective. Um, there seems to be one, something that happens. And I'm, I think for this particular audience, I'm stating a little bit of the obvious, there's, there's a shift from uh, raising your first fund and then what's required, who you're trying to market to for your second and third. Um, could you tell us about what you see generally, and then what's that? What is that looking like today? Is is raising your second or third fund today different than it might have been early in the pandemic, before the pandemic? I think you know when when firms are raising their first fund, right? They're first trying to see can we make this a go, right? So to be honest, the last thing they're thinking about is the accounting, the operations. They're just trying to see, can we get investors? Can we raise money? And can we find investments? Is this real, right? Once they kind of get through the first funds, they're like, okay, wow, we've got a business. Um, and they're going into their second or their third when they start thinking more about 
having a robust, you know, I would call it back office and finance team. You know, before that, I think a lot of times people think they can use Excel, they can use QuickBooks, you know, it's easy, it's inexpensive, and they might be right and it gets them by. When you start getting into the second or the third, you start then thinking you want stats across all the funds, investments, investors, you might get more institutional style investors that require more information. So that's kind of the breaking point of, you know, okay, we're going to implement a system, a real system that is a GL with allocations, or are we going to outsource, you know, and not worry about that facet? Historically, that's always been the case, right? That is close-end funds. That's the way it has always worked. The differentiator right now is the talent market, right? So I would say on the fund admin side, it's always been kind of a high turnover side of the business, right? There's a lot of fund administrators. You do get turnover on the teams. That's across the board. Everybody can range their percentages, but that is the reality. Whereas on the fund side, you really had less turnover, right? It was very appealing to people to be part of a fund, considered a bit more prestigious, considered, though, of course, I was always in fund admin, but considered, um, for most of it, considered, you know, more appealing to people to do, and there was less turnover on that side of the business. That's no longer the case, right? The talent pool is, is definitely um, not as liquid as it was. It is hard to hire people. I would also say I get clients a lot saying to me, do you know anyone? It's hard to get people to stay on both sides now, which makes the issue that I talked about when you get to your second and third fund even more complicated, right? Because of the fact that not only now are you thinking, do I systematize it, but how do I make sure people stay? Because a lot of the history and the knowledge of these is with the people right? Because there are smaller firms. So that's the added complexity that I would say that you've had over the past, you know, maybe three years since COVID hit and subsequent to that. That is perfect. And, um, and, and I'd love for us to come back to that specific point about talent um, liquidity. Um, before we do, are there, um, are there other things happening? I mean, we've all read the headlines about what's happening in the markets. Um, are there other things happening that are also putting pressure on raising that second, third, or making a leap to a larger, you know, fourth, fourth fund or something of that nature? I think, you know, also the pressures that are happening there is you want to different as a fund, forgetting about just the talents of doing the work, but you want to differentiate yourself, right? So what is going to make you most appealing to investors, right? Which has always been the case that, you know, that's your goal. Your goal is your investors. But what about your firm can differentiate, right? And is it the speed with which you reply? Is it the level of detail that you give and the transparency? So you are seeing much more firms where, you know, it's almost as if the investors, there's a few big ones, they're part of the ownership of the firm, right? So you do see extremes where they'll meet with investors weekly and go over the deal pipeline and have to get approval from the investors, not all of them, but a select few to go forward on a deal, which I don't think you saw as much in the past, you know? Um, so you are seeing that more and across the board, the level of reporting and speed with which they want to respond 
has definitely skyrocketed. And that's the ways within which you can differentiate yourself with investors to make it more appealing for them to want to come to you and, and have that. You know, the other thing you are seeing, and that's definitely been before COVID too, but probably over the past five years, where investors are mandating, we want to see a fund administrator. I mean, I'll never forget when we were selling fund admin, there was a client that we pitched to that literally was like, you know, a block away from us. They said, you have to come over, you have to pitch today and we have to close in a week right? Because we want to close this investor and they are not going to close with us unless we have a fund administrator, unless we have, you know, a system of checks and balances. And it also pertained to wires where, you know, they wanted, let's say the fund admin to be the preparer and the reviewer, and maybe the client, you know, the fund itself were the releasers, but they felt that having those two parties there was a control, right? So you are seeing a lot more of that where investors are dictating how the operations are set up and what the controls are there, you know, which leads to, for me, I've had a ton of target operating model work and clients where people are bringing me in and saying, what have you seen and what's the optimal way to set this up at this stage? So you're saying that the report is funny because I think um, I've been thinking about reporting pressures, you know, the SEC rules that are coming out and, and, and questions about ESG. And I think you're saying, there's that, but then there's the investors uh, demanding a greater level of reporting, especially when um, you're, you're moving to that second and third. If I then come back to what you were saying about talent liquidity, um, uh, we pulled that into the headline because um, it, when we were talking earlier, you, you had brought that up. And since then, um, uh, I've been so excited about it. I've been reading it and reading about it in other industries where talent liquidity can mean different things in terms of um, the talent is is so liquid. It's, it's you're, you're recruiting, and then these folks, you know, leave. Um, um, and so, how can we retain folks? Then there's updating operations so that you're able to assume there's going to be a certain amount of liquidity and talent coming and going. So the talent that comes is able to ramp up faster, and the talent that leaves um, um, leaves you with fewer vulnerabilities. And then I've heard about internal talent liquidity in terms of folks moving around within roles. I would love to hear um, what, how you're thinking about of talent liquidity in terms of this equation of um, uh, fundraising and, and the second and third fund and all the pressures out there. Yeah, so I think you grouped it perfectly, right? Because there's different facets to that. Number one, it's you know how do you attract the best people Right. So as you're hiring, as you're growing, because even if you outsource, there's still going to be some level of retention of um, what you need to do on the fund side, which people always discount, but you still need to review it. You still need to sign off. It's still your books and records. Right. Um, so number one, how to attract the best people. And number two, um, how to hold on to those people once you have them, which pertains to what I was talking about earlier, where there is turnover now on the fund side as there has always been on the fund admin side. And what can you do to you know, get people to stay? And then the third bucket, like you were saying, is assuming people are gonna leave, what can you do to document? So I would say starting with the attracting the best, right? Things that you never saw. So for example, on the fund side, traditionally they would give carry on the operational or finance side of the business only to the very senior people on that team. Now you're seeing that it's across the board, right? Where they are giving carry to even the more junior members, you know, and it's more long-term to have that carried out there to keep them for an elongated period of time, right? But in the same token on that, 
it's making sure they understand it, right? Because if people don't understand it, you know, then then they don't know what they're staying for, right? And and then there's you don't keep that retention. Um, so that's a carrot to bring them in, but it's also a carrot to keep them over an elongated period of time. But it was a good point that you said, and it's a little bit harder on the fun side because they're smaller than on the fun admin side, even if you just compare the two. But mobility, right? Because people do want to continue to grow and learn. And on the fun side, if you have a small team, it's sometimes hard to do that, right? So what are ways you could do that? Rotating roles, whether they get involved in tax, whether you go into different industries, whether you have them help with some of the deal things so that they feel part of it. But you have to get creative in ways to kind of keep mobility and retention of people once they come across, otherwise they get you know, bored. Um, and then just going back to the point that you said about you know, um, assuming there's going to be some, right? So a few ways to tackle that. Number one, systematizing things as much as you can. But number two, what I've also seen a lot of is proceduralize things, right? So I've had a lot of clients come to me and say, can you basically interview us and put together extremely granular procedures so that again, if we expect turnover, I can hand something and it's not all dependent on, you know, Mary, who knows the fund since the beginning of life, but she can, you know, give this to other people. And I have seen what's very good about that is, you know, you get people questioning things. It's always hard to do that because you're interviewing and if people know it so well, they're not thinking step one, two, and three, they're just, they know it innately. But it does get them thinking of what's right, questioning things. So it's also a good process to go through, which can then be used to automate things also, right? That's fantastic. And so if I hear correctly, there's, there's maybe a spectrum between I need help. How do I find the folks that can do that? And then if I hear you correctly, you're not just finding out if they can do it. You're also asking if they can break it down into a replicable system, which then presents potentially an opportunity for automation. And I think in some past conversations, um, I at least have approached it in terms of there's a dichotomy. It's like, is there people? Is there technology? Which one do you choose? Uh, Ryan, I think this might be the right time to ask you about when you're getting folks checking in with, with PFA, um, how, do, how does that equation work in terms of capacity and, 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 and a sort of talent crunch and whether you're looking for people or operations or some blend between the two. Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks, Chris. I think there's always going to be the people aspect, no matter what. They're mm -hmm. on the finance side, investor relations, portfolio company. In, in these conversations, finance is really involved in everything across, across the board. Um, from a technology perspective, from a hiring perspective, from an overall operations, CFO, COOs have, have responsibilities across the board, even cybersecurity on the technology side, we're seeing more CFOs involved in that. From an actual hiring perspective, there, there are a lot of challenges right now, as, as Melanie mentioned, particularly obviously in the fund admin world, but even consulting companies. And then our clients are, are facing challenges. And some of them have faced issues. Some of them are haven't yet, but they they are paranoid. Uh, we got a call yesterday from a really large firm that said, you know, we're scared of people leaving. We haven't seen a lot of people leave yet, but we are scared. We want to get the right reporting to them ASAP. Our number one priority is providing transparency on their rewards. 
particularly carried interest awards so that they can see what it's worth now and what it will be worth in the future. And then other smaller companies have come to us and said, people have made decisions because and left because they they didn't understand what that carried interest um, meant. So, th so they wanna go through a whole training exercise of educating all of their employees about what are these awards worth and what could they be worth three, five years down the line if you stick with us. Uh, because a lot of people are motivated by financial gains um, in addition to doing different types of work or joining different types of industries. It, it does mean a lot to a number of people. And as Melanie mentioned, we are seeing, especially on our smaller clients, carried interest awards being granted across the entire firm, uh, front, front to back, every single employee, because it aligns, it aligns interests. Everyone wins if the firm does well and performs well over time and generates positive, positive carry. From a technology perspective, it always comes down to, well, we need to get this in a system. We need a controlled manner. We need to avoid those keepers and dependencies where somebody wins the lottery, get hit by the bus. There's only one person that's managing this complicated spreadsheet across everyone's, everyone's carried interest. And then there's the joiners and the levers. So calculating what's vested um, for, for an employee that's, that's leaving. Some of our clients also want us to generate reports where they can assess that and say, if this person leaves, if three people leave, what happens, how much is left in that goes back to a reserve or a house account bucket so that they could properly hire, reward, promote, all of that. So it, it, so we get these conversations, going back to your first question is like, what does it mean from a technology perspective? They say, the first three things they say is, we wanna get off these crazy Excel spreadsheets and we wanna get better reporting. And we really just wanna like sleep at ease that it's, it's in some sort of controlled manner where the data is backed up, et cetera. Uh, and then they want employees to log in and access that data via a portal or being automatically sending the statement to them, signing off in DocuSign uh, so that there's a stamp of approval and all of that audit trail associated to it. So we're- uh, so, then, so, so then if I understand you correctly, especially on your first point, um, <laughs> This might, so someone might, it sounds like someone came to you, um, not, I mean, they probably came for the automation and the efficiency and not having to figure out how this Excel sheet was, was built, but as education software, training software. Yeah, yeah that's, that's been something that's popped up recently. And yeah, and, uh, one particular firm said, this is great. Everything, we understand that this can help us from an administration perspective, but our problem is actually education. We hire a lot of engineers, people from Silicon Valley to do some, you know, more AI type analytics for their investment strategy. And they don't necessarily understand how traditional private equity venture capital carried interest awards are, are granted and what that means from a long-term perspective. And, and they, they wanted to really focus on the educational side so we so i we started thinking about all right maybe we need some more pop-up boxes in the system to over you know what does this number mean what does this number mean in the future and then this company would say well maybe we need instructional videos we need to spend time with employees to educate them on what they're receiving as part of their offer letter so that, and then that, 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 that's been that's been new on the education side and 
I think we um, will probably continue to see it as well as, as there's people coming and going in these firms. And then there's different types of awards. There's phantom awards versus mm -hmm. the partnership awards. There's awards because of people investing their own capital. And then we're also seeing an uptick in hurdles where if somebody comes in later, later in the firm, then the company has to hit certain milestones before that individual gets paid out or gets their unrealized realized carry. So, that, so there's a lot more things going on from a creative perspective to define these compensation programs. So, so if, go ahead, no, no, what I was gonna say is that makes total sense, right? Because if you go back to the beginning of what we were saying, where they are giving carry to everyone or more junior people, with that comes exactly what you're saying, right? In education because it is not just the senior people or select five or select 10 that need to understand you know, how it works. Now it is the masses, right? Um, and it's actually one of the more you know, different things that I was hired for, not really what I do, but someone was leaving a firm and really did not understand their carry and actually called me to say, can you go through all of my kind of pay stubs and carry and whatever, and explain to me what's hypothetical and not real now that I'm leaving and what, is and what I get leaving, you know? So um, so obviously there's a lack of understanding of that in the market. So, so it's not necessarily, if I understand correctly, it's not necessarily to spin, um, you know, what's at stake in terms of understanding the carry. It's sort of allowing the employee to make a rational decision. And I, I feel like maybe in a previous episode, we might've talked about this from the perspective of, from a recruiting there from a recruiting perspective and I don't know how many people actually do this but the ability to show how much transparency you'll have can be a differentiator from a recruiting perspective if you know that you're not going to have to ask embarrassing questions to like you know the senior person there uh, who can explain how this actually works because you didn't quite get it all in school yeah I think that's a great point that we've heard a lot where if you can digitize statements or access to the data, then it removes that extra conversation from the employee or the participant going to the CFO and saying, what's it worth right now? If they can, if they can rely on receiving some sort of statement on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis, but then if they have a login to a portal, then they can pull that down and see that information. Then it avoids avoids the CFO trying to go back into the files and understand that or the COO or the controller or whoever's managing it. It avoids that conversation, even though people are interested in, in this information. So that's, that's, that's one piece. And then what we've heard from a couple of clients as well is being able to toggle scenarios. So if the projections that are standard in your reports is a 2X over the life of the fund, that it's a billion dollar fund, it turns to two billion. That's on a twenty percent incentive fee. That's roughly two hundred million. That gets split between who's ever part of that that program. If an individual can toggle and say, "Well, it could be a three x or it could be a four x," that's something else that we've heard where an individual can have access to play with the numbers. Or they say, "Maybe it's only a fraction because of the market right now. What will this be worth for me? Should I?" look for other options or should I stay here because of how we're, how we're doing. So that's, that's something else we've heard as well. So that an individual can log in and toggle and see how much things could be worth um, based on 
various scenarios. That is fantastic. I want to leave time for questions. We've, we've zoomed through, this has been fantastic. Uh, Melanie, I, I have one um, for you. Um, you, you mentioned um, um, your work in establishing or refining processes and how that can set the stage for automation um, without disclosing names or engagements. Are there examples or best practices you would share where, um, where you can transition good workflows to, uh, I'm editorializing a little bit on the question, so um, I apologize if, if I've steered it incorrectly, but um, um, uh, transitioning from um, workflows to automation. Yeah, I, I think it's both, right? It's workflows, but it is also written documentation of steps, right? So for example, the basic ones, what happens with the capital call? What happens with financial statements? And you know, me and another person that I've worked with in the past were laughing because you know everybody thinks writing procedures is easy, and I've just decided no one writes them at the level that I write them <laughs> because I have to rewrite. But it is very much. I always think of it from like you know, if my daughter was doing this and has no experience, would she know the next step of what to do? Right. So you literally want to walk them through and then weave within there the reasons and understanding so that it's both a process tool, but also a learning tool, right, of what they're doing. Um, because you can go over things day one, but let's say you go over capital call process and then you don't have a capital call for three months, right? No one's remembering in three months what they have to do. Um, so it's number one, the documentation written aspects with screenshots or whatever. Number two, the workflow aspect, which then you can take both of those things, which also help with if you have turnover, um, but you can also utilize those tools to then automate things, right? If you decide to implement a system or to go to a vendor to understand how it works. And it gives you a starting point to dictate how that process will work as opposed to going to a fund administrator and saying, you tell me the process, right? I would say a lot of my clients will take a more proactive stance of you put it together, Melanie, or help us. And then like I wrote the SLA for a client. And then I said to the fund administrator, here's my SLA, right? Because obviously I've done this for 25 years. And you tell me where it needs to be changed because this is the level of detail where it's again, the process back and forth. The client owes, you know, the administrator this on day five, then the administrator owes it back on day seven. And um, it just helps for things to flow. So it could be number one for turnover, number two for process automation, but also number three for outsourcing to help. I have, well, I have another question. Uh, this one's for you, Ryan. Um, uh, you, you're, you're focusing on um, carried interest. Um, can you tell us more about some of the other areas where um, PFA is um, is automating it's relevant to um, the talent uh, liquidity issue? Sure. We focus on carry as a base. However, it's almost like a journey with our clients to add more uh, from, that, from that talent perspective and the reporting to the individuals. Uh, a lot of our clients will also include co-investments in statements or other types of reporting that they're providing so that they could see carried interest awards, what's vested, what's not vested, what are the future, future um, projections of those, but then also how much money has each employee or partner invested of their own capital, what's that worth? And then sometimes it's correlated to the carry, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's completely independent, 
where these employees are investing alongside outside limited partners. Uh, and then the, another component that we're seeing is adding in salary details, bonus benefits, so that an employee can see that all in view of all of their compensation. And then also, how, how has it changed over time? What, what did it look like last year? What's it look like this year? What's the projected bonuses for the next year? So we're, we're helping a lot of clients with that all in, carried interest, co-investments, compensation reporting. And then a new thing that we've had a couple of clients actually come to us and have, have us build out that we're, that we're working on now is compensation recommendations analytics, where senior management can look at all individuals and then see how to allocate bonus pools, see who's up for promotion, see all their levels, and then have the breakout and the org chart so that there's different, different leaders within the organization can see who their direct reports are and then allocate their bonus pools within that. So that's a new feature that a lot of clients are coming to us, particularly on the larger side, so that they can manage their mid-year and year-end comp review cycle and review process all in a single platform. That's pretty cool. I, I'm a private capital. I can think of some particular very large technology companies whose <laughs> managers, development managers could use that. Um, we have reached the half hour. Thank you very much uh, to both of you. Thank you, everyone who joined. Stay tuned for uh, the next episode. And uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks. Right. Thanks, everyone.